Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, psychedelics, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Anne Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Anne and Nick are back for a new episode with special guest Charles Lazarus, Chief Cultivation and Production Officer at Rose Hill. Charles joins us this week to take a deep dive into his history with psilocybin and what led him to begin cultivating mushrooms, his experience legally exporting psilocybin mushrooms to Canada, and what's next for his company. He also touches on his views of the evolution of the psilocybin industry in Jamaica and the global acceptance and legalization of psilocybin over the next decade. If you're interested in learning more about Charles and the Rose Hill family of offerings, please visit the links in our show notes. Also, be sure to follow Rose Hill on LinkedIn and other top social media platforms. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Charles Lazarus of Rose Hill. Charles, we are so excited to have you here. Um, you, uh, We've been working with you guys for a couple of months now. Um, and not only has it been a pure joy, um, but the work you guys are doing uh, is really, really interesting. And you, um, you have an interesting story, um, which I want to start with, and then we can talk about Rose Hill. But first, tell us about yourself. Oh, my God. You know, let me start from the very beginning. The very beginning. Uh, you were born on a yeah. farm. No, just kidding. <laughs> so I, we should probably just start at the at the time when mushrooms came into it. How about that? Let's sure. start there. Yeah. Okay, because that's pretty much the beginning. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I uh, to make it really quick. My father did not want me to smoke ganja. Like he wanted, I had to not smoke ganja until I was way older and he was super strict. So like, uh, he's an Arab man, you know, uh, but all my friends could smoke ganja, but I couldn't smoke ganja. It was like a, a thing, right? So I lived in a country, North Coast. And in Jamaica. A, in Jamaica. And he had a really great friend, good, good friend. It's, to this day, I'm, I love him. He's my uncle. My father's not around anymore. He's been like a second father. So my father's best friend, but he was an American from originally from Jersey that was living in Jamaica as a, in the, yeah, like, you know, Rasta man, white man, Rasta man, shipping out ganjo, like one of those types, right? Don Gargan. Anyway, Greg is his name. And Greg inspired me to play the guitar, which I later went on to be a musician, but he also would grow the most amazing ganjo. And then we would go and visit him and my friends would get the best ganjo from him. And I'd be like, all right, well, I can't smoke ganjo because daddy will kill me. This is like 14, 15 years old, you know, that kind of age. But he told me a story about this one time when he ate these mushrooms. And I'd never even heard of that. He could like eat mushrooms like that, like other than what was on pizza. And how he was in the Everglades in Florida and he was on his boat and like it was so magical. And however he said it to me, I remember hearing it and going when I, this was actually even way before, I'm like probably nine when he said this. And I remember hearing it and going, man, when I get big, that's what I'm going to, I want that. I want to try that. So when my friends started smoking ganja and I wasn't really in that club, um, I was open to mushrooms. And one of us went in the grill, found out that there was mushrooms in Jamaica, called us all up and we convinced our parents to send us down to visit Jamie in the grill. And we all went wild harvesting with Miss Brown, Ted, her son, right? And Ted took us to pick mushrooms and we picked, I mean, like big shopping bags full of mushrooms and then came back to the Hungry Lion, which was Jamie's uncle's place and cooked up all of these mushrooms in a tea, way too much. I'm talking like each of us must have consumed seven, seven grams, eight grams. I mean, now that I know what the weights are, I think back on it. Yeah. And we had the most amazing time, but it was definitely some ego death that was like, maybe 15 or 15 years old, 16 years old, which you know, not that people should go out there at 15 and 16 and consume. That's my disclaimer. 
Right. But it was great. It Don't was great do what you did. Yeah. And I was great for us. And then I was all into mushrooms, like a romance affair, till about 21, where I would go down to the grill, get mushrooms, bring them back to Kingston, eat mushrooms, go to the movies, the this, the that, and just I loved it, you know? I mean, I eventually started smoking ganja, but that's a whole other story. So, um, around about like 21 now, my parents was driving a little too fast and had a naughty car accident where they both had to go up to heaven or wherever it is that they wound up finding themselves. So I, I stopped eating mushrooms, obviously, in that time. I was just not the headspace. Yeah. Uh, that's actually when I found out about MDMA, which is a, another story. Because now that I know everything that's going on with MDMA, I look back on it and I go, oh, man, that I, I went through this. But I did it thinking I was just partying at a rave. <laughs> right, right. I actually went through this, right? So it wasn't until like about, I don't know, uh, 28, 27, I started eating mushrooms again with the band touring and with Dabble. And that's when I figured out that you didn't have to consume seven grams. You could just have a little bit and have a little vibe. You didn't have to have this huge vibe because it was always at this thing. And uh, yeah, around 2013, I wanted to have, at this point, I've discovered that there's different types of mushrooms, not just the wild harvested ones that we had in Jamaica that had felt this way, but I'd taken other mushrooms, you know, touring with a band and they were different. And I took me a while to piece together that different mushrooms had different, felt different. And I wanted those mushrooms in Jamaica, but I'm in a band and I'm Jamaica and I'm not trying to fly with any drugs because mm-hmm. I can use my right. work permits. My whole life can go down the drain for any type of, issue so the only solution was to grow them in jamaica so i started growing small amounts and then it mushroomed <laughs> so take us through the story charles then how does that lead into rose hill you know um with everything you guys are doing there so i'm growing these mushrooms it's 2013 2012 i don't know it was around that time anyway right and we uh, mushrooms don't taste great for the most part. So we were stuffing them into capsules, not because it was a microdose, because it wasn't. It was we were stuffing a, as much as we could into a capsule, but really so that, mushroom or like did you dried? Oh, dried. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. It's just dried crushed mushrooms into yeah. capsules, just because you could take it without having to chew it, and it was less gross for people, right? Yeah. Not because it was a microdose, and they start. Um, we had more than we needed myself and a friend of mine. And so we started giving to people and people started to request and then we started to sell them. (laughs) And it's legal in, in Jamaica. So this is not something you're not doing anything illicit. This is, um, Um, we weren't, but that wouldn't have stopped me from doing this. (laughs) Okay. No, it wouldn't have stopped me from doing it. Like I, I, you know, not mushrooms, like that's so below the radar in Jamaica. Nobody would have even cared. The police is don't it, even know what it is, you know? Well, is it is it something that's used a lot? Or that, like you just said, the police don't really know what it is. I mean, is I mean, it, how far I, under the radar is it there? Like all the way under the radar at the time. The only places yeah. that really knew about mushrooms when I was when I was growing up was Negril, because tourists probably made the Jamaican people aware, and then it caught on. If I'm getting this wrong, Jamaican people, please correct me. But Let that us know. was my experience, right? Yeah. And then on the East Coast in Portland, like where Kevin lives, the surfing community is what made everyone aware of mushrooms. So I would say since the 60s in the grill, when everyone kind of carved out in the grill, and then on the, you know, maybe in the 80s over in Portland, you know, I'm, I would I would guess. So it wasn't, it's not really like Jamaican people use mushrooms as a, um, as a medicine historically. We're more okay. ganja and Rastafari, right? Right. So I, and I would probably would credit that for why it's not, why, Jamaica, why it's not illegal today, because when all the laws were being passed and all the legislatures being written for the Dangerous Drugs Act, we just didn't even bother with that. Like, what are you going to waste time writing a law for something that nobody even knows? That's like writing a, that's like outline lawn clippings or something like no one cares. Right. So it's an accident today while we're in that position. We just didn't care. Um, yeah. I think if, if police had stopped you with a bunch of mushrooms in 
1991, they, you know, they wouldn't even have known what that was. They'd be like, oh, you're making soup. I don't even think they were, would have been, I mean, I don't even think edible mushrooms is like a thing that's common in the Jamaican diets. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it goes that uh, deep. So as you're formulating this idea for a company and, you know, know that you mm. have this like oversupply. No, talk no, to no. me. No. Okay. Talk to uh, me about that's, that's, is that the to, genesis. I have to go a little further. I've got a little okay, further. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so I'm going to speed that one up. Oh, it went. Okay. This is how it really went. Um, I'm in Jamaica. It's 20, maybe it's 17, 18. And the, the cannabis industry is shaky. Super, super shaky. I'm not really involved in it, but I'm um, I'm I'm deep in the the roots of the culture of it in America because Roots on the Ground is touring uh, all through that time where where ganja becomes legal. California, Oregon, Washington, and Colorado, where Jamaicans are reggae band, so we're gonna be at the epicenter of that we're getting booked by the farmers for harvest parties. You know, Roots on the Ground was like the band at the time. So we were in that ganja um, explosion that happened in America. We saw it. And as a result, I saw what was going on in America and thinking about how far back Jamaica was and thinking, man, I just don't see how we're going to bridge that gap fast enough, which so said, so done. That was not that. We did not do that. Point is that a lot of the people who are in Jamaica, the foreign companies that were had put people there, and especially Canadian companies, um, they weren't doing well. A lot of them closed and left, and you know the, the legislature just couldn't catch up in time for them. And there was a lot of infrastructure there. So I'm coming down now, and I'm in 2017. I'm visiting farms and doing a little bit of consulting because I know a little bit of stuff that could help them with fresh eyes. And overheard one guy say that, you know, he was thinking about pivoting in that direction, right? I can't say his name, he's pivoting in that direction. And I said to him, well, I grow mushrooms. Instead of you having to figure it out and start from scratch and um, go through all of the trials that you went through with ganjo, where you have to get a man from British Columbia and have to fly down to Jamaica and his wife gets mad because she never sees him anymore. And his kids start, you know, and then he's always, his mind is in, his body's in Jamaica, his mind's always back home. And then you have apartment and car, and he doesn't know how to deal with the Jamaican people, which can be very challenging, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just let me do it. And we'll just, I don't need anything from you. We'll just make it like it's a, a sale. You want this, you know, um, six pounds a yam, 10 pounds a gungo peas. I'll just do it that way, right? And we agreed to try, but we couldn't agree on a price. He wanted this price that was like madness because I was already in that world in Jamaica locally. I'm like, no, sir, a pound is worth this. But to him, it was really worth this, right? So um, it gets me looking in that direction and I decide to up production regardless because I sense that that is something that's coming. Yeah, and, have something yeah, and, yeah, something's coming, and I like I like growing mushrooms. It's like I, I enjoy growing plants, but mushrooms is fast. You, you know, you see it goes, you know, well quickly. It also goes wrong quickly, which I kind of like that now too. When it goes wrong, you know, okay, I'm not beating a dead horse. I have messed up. I do not need to wait six months to figure that out. All right, so I started up in production, and then got caught up in the dopamine response of failing, having problems, having to fix those problems and just increasing, increasing to the point where when Kevin comes to me and says, um, because he brought uh, uh, one of the Canadian companies that was looking for a solution and Kevin was tied into them. Like he knew somebody knew somebody, you know how that works, the network, the mycelial network. And we wound up going together. This is Kevin Burke. So just Kevin for Burke, those yeah, who, yeah, yeah. yeah. Business partner, yeah. extraordinaire. <laughs> it, well, if you want to say that, I, I must note that it was Dominic Super, the other business partner who was with me when I had that conversation with that um, Canadian guy about him pivoting. Okay. All right. Yeah. So okay. it all okay. kind of all That's ties in. That's how it all weaves together. Yeah, okay. it all ties in. All right. So, um, so yeah, the, Kevin and I, Foster this relationship with this company, and we wind up going through with them, holding hands, all of the 
the barriers and the hurdles and whatnot, to, which led to the first international export. I mean, they deserve their credits. It was Midasine Innovations yeah. that we did that with. They deserve their credits. And it was yeah. great. Yeah, we're great to yeah. work with. Um, uh, Damon, mm-hmm. love, love him to this day. He's a, yeah. a great human being and helped us tremendously. Wouldn't be probably doing what we're doing if it wasn't for his input, right? So... Um, then we have all of these mushrooms, this big production. And at that point, we decide to put a name and a face to all of the mushrooms and the, the products that we were already putting out on the ground and kind of step into the light because it's legal. And we've proven that we've exported, we've done all of the things. So that's when Patu was birthed. And of course, Kevin, I don't know if you guys fully know it, but he's been at the I mean, man's a great brand builder. He's responsible for a lot of amazing things that have come from Jamaica. And um, Patu was created, was coined, was termed, was whatever, was stamped. So Patu then becomes our big thing that we're doing. And it was great because we were in control of it. It wasn't like, okay, one day, you know, there's a Canadian client and they're great. They're supporting you. But then the laws change in Canada and woof, all of a right. sudden you're not needed anymore. So Patu is the consumer products line within the country of Jamaica. So you have you started this export line of business and then realized there is a market here for um, for this consumer product within the Jamaican and tourist community. And I guess tell us a little bit about the the Patu products, the vibe, what's what what you planned to do with that and where it is now. Okay, well, <laughs> I guess. Part two, the products were, were the very first thing. They just didn't have that name. Okay. You know, yeah, in, yeah. In, in Jamaica or in West African uh, culture, the owl sees behind the veil of all the mystic things. And I mean, that's a lot of cultures, but I can only speak for West African or in Jamaica, right? So um, beyond that, a patu is what Jamaicans refer to as an owl, right? So the patu is an owl. It's a brown owl, the common brown owl in Jamaica. Um, so we named it, we named it patu. The owl has always been a special bird for both Kevin and myself. And of course, we could get into some, like I was on mushrooms one day, blah, 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 blah. blah. <laughs> we don't need to do that, right? So um, the, the face, the, the mascot, if you will, becomes the owl and we because it's illegal we decide to step out i mean cautiously but boldly cautiously almost (laughs) because we don't know what government is necessarily going to do when we're straight up out there but we go for it first thing was of course we had capsules in the beginning and then we started with a four gram journey chocolate bar so in Jamaica, cacao, very, very high quality. Mm-hmm. I want to say, I don't, I shouldn't, I should stop saying this until I fully validate, but I think it's like third highest rated in the world, right? For, for cacao, right? So of course, cacao is a medicine by itself. You know, it re- releases oxytocin and just kind of sets a really great vibe. That's why we all crave chocolate sometimes, uh, especially dark chocolate. So when you combine the two, it just kind of um, is a special magic. I don't know the science for it, but it's, I know the feedback and it's a special magic. I don't think we've ever had a bad report from thousands and thousands of bars. I know there must be some bad ones <laughs> out there, but we haven't heard about them, you know? So we connect with a chocolatier that becomes a partner in that particular SKU. And we identify the farm that all of the cacao would come from, which would be down in Portland, in St. Thomas, really, which is the east end of the island. And then we we grow up with a unique strain, which has Jamaican roots in it. And we grind both the cacao and the mushroom biomass together. And then we use that to produce chocolate. So it's not as if we bought some bulk chocolate, melted it down on the stove mm-hmm. and threw some mushroom dust in there. It's really well 
distributed throughout the bar. And then every so often, of course, you know, uh, the, our chocolate also has a very successful line of his own chocolates, right? So all of the things necessary for food production and all of those things are already handled by being in this container. And then we batch codes, the whole nine yards, you know, at this point we are all of the various testing. There's only two uh, options for testing in in Kingston and we're having to work with them. Okay. We want to see this cause it's new and mm-hmm. you know, they don't, they, it's just not there yet. Right. So, um, yeah. And then we start selling Kevin and I hit the streets. Yeah. I was going to say, where, where do you actually go and sell these? Are you guys like got a stand in the street or are you working with like local grocers or markets and stuff? So, so Jamaica is a small country. It's only 3 million people. And by the time you're 40 years old, you it's your friends that are the doctor lawyer indian chief right and Mm -hmm. you can go to your friends that own boutique hotels or health food stores or and the like and convince them you know hey i really think this would work you should look at this you know we're willing to you know just try this you know and at that time we were putting different skus in different places so like capsules would go to health food stores but um, the four gram journey bar would go to cannabis dispensaries and they're very cautious about it at first. You have to kind of prove it to them. And then what you do is you go real nice and easy and then you watch their sales kind of increase until it's undeniable and you're become a fixture of, 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 you know, of what they're offering. Right. So that's where we are now. And in that time, you get to build that relationship further you get to see who you like to work with, you know, who understands the flow, who understands the mission, who also knows that right now, this is not, we're not positioning this as we're selling a drug. We're positioning this as we're selling medicine, right? So it has to kind of be presented in this way, not in an irresponsible manner. And then we have to, we can't just onboard everywhere because we've got to go in, we've got to train the staff, We've got to spend a lot of time watching them interact with people that are coming in, whether it be tourists or locals, sharing and informing and informing and informing responsibly. And so it took a a while to to get up to 32 or 33 retailers, I think, something like that. And, And even to say, well, we could go further, but do we have the bandwidth just now to like take on, you know, go through that training, go through that training because... Um, we like to do it ourselves, you know, right. we like to do it ourselves. So, so you have now, um, uh, an export business, a consumer product business, and then you decide I'm not busy enough and you're, <laughs> and you're in the band. Um, I need to start a retreat. Um, so can mm-hmm. you talk about how that is incorporated into the Rose Hill family? So fortunately, I'm a part of a team, right? So <laughs> some people yes. do some things like so if it was a band, somebody plays a bass and somebody plays a guitar. Right now, the, the credits for the retreat needs to fall on both Vernice and Kevin, right? Because mm-hmm. we're, I'm growing mushrooms and I am from way back when giving or, or selling the medicine to retreat practitioners of the other retreats, not all the retreats. There are a lot of retreats and some retreats handle their own mm-hmm. cultivation. And, um, but others, I wound up working with them and being able to work with the practitioners, the people, the sitters, the lead. The therapists. And, you know, well, yeah, well it, functionally therapists. Yeah. Sure. Or, yeah. Sure. And they, um, you know, they all have different things that they want from their retreats or ways in which they like to hold space or the place that they want their people to go to. And they need to be intimately connected to that medicine, like the personality of that medicine. They don't want, they don't want it to be um, a surprise or as Jamaicans say, a puss in a bag. You know, they want to know exactly <laughs> what is going to happen when they give people this medicine. So yeah. the more familiar that they are with you and the intention that went into cultivating it and your process and everything, the better. 
So over the years, I was working with those people. And it often when, um, because we're in the mushroom industry, when a new retreat pops up and they're looking for people and they reach out to me for medicine, I can say, well, you should really, let me connect you with Anne because she's amazing and you should probably talk to Anne. Right. And then mm-hmm. you may, you start working with them and it just, it creates this network, but how it worked for us is that, you know, it helps me to understand what all the different genetics we were growing. I mean, I can't eat all these mushrooms. Right. So <laughs> I get to give it to Anne and then Anne sits with people that are working on X, Y, or Z. And then she can give me that feedback, that anecdotal feedback. And then I can say, well, um, thanks to research that actually started with mitocene, is it this, these changes in the substrate that would lead to this or, you know, cause we got, we, we were thinking that way at one point, right? So, um, then it just becomes natural, uh, for Kevin. Kevin is a man that really loves his, um, ceremony. You know, he goes on to Costa Rica and sits with various other types of medicine as well. And so he's very in tune with it. And he, I think, passionately wanted to head down that path. So it wasn't really me going, I think I'm, I need to be busier. It was Kevin biting off some more and me going, all right, let me help you chew it. And fortunately, it has led us to this place because one, it's our, no, no, we are in control of our feedback. We're in control of a lot more of the narrative and it's hands-on. And in this um, so far in this industry, you really need to roll up your sleeves and you have to kind of, you have to live it. You can, I don't think you have to be authentic with it. You know, you can't just, oh, I'm in the business now. I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's how it, it's going to work. It's not, that's not going to work well. You always, you can feel when it's that way real quick, you know, and that's not cool. Right. No. And, and so now you and Kevin have, have built this brand of Rose Hill as we've, we've hit on all these things. I'm wondering, how are you guys evaluating what's next? I know it's like we keep talking about you don't have enough to do, obviously, with, with all these different things. But, um, you know, there's we're in the United States and there's a lot of excitement around psilocybin um, and we're seeing, you know, Oregon um, pushing to create a, a legal market, cities like Denver, um, Oakland, Ann Arbor that have decriminalized or how are you guys, um, are, or are you even looking at expansion into the U S with the, the Patu brand or, or bringing, um, you know, how are you looking to bring Rose Hill into the U S? Well, that's a great question. And yes, you know, just some context. Remember I'm in a reggae band, right? So how <laughs> reggae works, how reggae works is or reggae artist works is Jamaica is a small market, but everybody seems to like Jamaica for the most part or, or hate it or love it. But more people seem to love it than hate it. And if you make a loud noise in Jamaica, it reverberates around the world. Right? So even though there are brands that are selling way more than Patu has ever sold, Patu gets to make a very loud noise in Jamaica by the way we go about things or the things that we've put done our, our entire story that we're telling right now. And it is our belief that if we export that SOP inside the legal containers of places like Oregon or Colorado and whatnot, and fit into the framework of what's allowed, it will separate Patu at the shelf level because of what we do in Jamaica. Right. And I mean, there's loads of different ways to skin a cat, really. So there's going to be lots of options and that's good for people. Lots of options. But it is our intention to launch Patu inside the diverse legal markets with people that we know are um, would be great strategic partners, you know, which, you know, it's I mean, this is coming all the way back from cannabis days. Lots of people have pivoted it's still plant medicine. So, um, we were there then as well. We know people, we have contacts, we have friends, and it just seems like the natural progression that we can take what we've done in Jamaica and have versions of it throughout the legal space. So to that, to that, um, to that effect, we have actually applied for licenses in Oregon and we are, 
we have uh, Colorado under the microscope of how best to approach it right now. I mean, we already know who we love in Colorado already. So, and, so there's that. And I want to see if you can speak a little bit more to the cultural aspect of this and how do you, how do you maintain, you know, the, the feeling of, you know, your homeland in Jamaica through, throughout this. I know you, you, you've mentioned a, you, finding the right partners is really key to it, but part of the conversation that Ann and I have been involved in is making sure like the spirituality of different psychedelic drugs is not being lost as, um, they're, they're medicalized and we're, bringing them into the, um, treatment centers, you know, can you speak a little bit more on that, um, cultural aspect of it and how, how important that is to maintain that, um, as the industry it's it, as a whole continues to progress? You know, I don't know what everyone's going to do. I only know what it is that we do. I know that we are dedicated to Jamaica all things brand Jamaica and the betterment of Jamaica and the Jamaican people and what's required in Jamaica. And that those things feed into our products, right? It's like what we do and how they're presented, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And ultimately even just the very genetics that are in them, which comes from our land. Right. So we would be, I mean, the one big thing that would separate us, I think is that the genetics that are used, are going to be coming from Jamaica, like the, the actual line, you know, the, the, the very spore, you know, the personality, right? And that's going to be consistent. Um, for me, intentionally, as long as it is that you're trying to help people, which is what keeps us motivated, then everything downstream of that will be positive. So culturally, that's being written right now. I mean, we were saying earlier that it's not as if Jamaica or Jamaicans have this long, deep history with uh, psilocybin mushrooms as a medicine. So right now in Jamaica, that's expanding as well, where the youth are learning about it, and we get to help direct that narrative positively. Uh, Kevin and I both sit on the Jamaica Mushroom Industry Technical Committee, right? So... All of those stakeholders that are in the industry in Jamaica, along with governments, uh, we understand this is really valuable and have some very conscious people not trying to make mistakes in how we speak about the narrative and how inclusive we are with, you know, the Rastafarian community, the, um, the indigenous people of Jamaica, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, Jamaicans, right? Jamaicans. We have a, a history in Jamaica being very aggressive at times uh, i defy you to be aggressive when you're consuming mushrooms that must be really really <laughs> hard to do right so yeah operate operation um raise the consciousness of the youths on their way what's doing it in us uh, you know you have to have like the, all the science there so that when the bodies that are in control of regulation ask their their questions you can counter with yeah but this you know, testing and this, that, and the other. And that sounds very medical because that's the language that they want to speak. Right. But in our hearts, in right. our hearts, right, it's very much a spiritual calling, you know? It, it, I was in a, a, a band that toured and the message was Rastafari and it was positive and uplifting and even a little baby could be at every show that we had, you know? It was exciting. It was presented in this rock and roll thing, but really what we're singing gospel music of rasta that's really what it is at the end of the day it's like a rasta gospel band well that felt really important because you knew that you were helping people and then after the show people would come up and tell you oh my they had a hard day but if it wasn't for this show and oh my god you don't know what i've been going through and and that made you feel good to even be making a sacrifice of not really making much money right? Right. um i feel like this is just a continuation of that Fortunately, we can care for our families with it because a lot of people need a lot of help right now, you know, especially coming out of COVID. You know? Yeah. Well, We're in the how do you, oh, go ahead. No, no, it's fine. No. Oh, no, I was going to say on that, like, how do you envision, you know, Jamaica is in a really, really interesting position to, you know, play this leadership role here. And you guys are basically writing the rules, right? Um, how do you, you see um global acceptance and legalization in the, like evolve over the next decade like 
you know, we have in America this stupid war on drugs and and like we have been battling that and kind of dismantling that brick by brick, but it's been a really slow process. Do you, you know, you don't have that in Jamaica. Um, you know, so I guess where do you see um legalization going globally and how do you see Jamaica being a part of that? No, it's a really big question. Might be way over my K grade. Right? <laughs> way, yeah. way over it. I I'll just say this. Paradigm shift. You know, there was a generation that loved to throw some pills in their mouth. They love to just pop a pill. They can't even take, they cannot even have vitamins unless it's a pill. Like no one's even thinking about eating the orange for the vitamin C. They just they need to have the vitamin C from pharmacy. That's the only way it's true. Right. And that has shifted. Right now, you lock up everybody for a couple of years. Everyone's isolated. Anyone that even had a thread of mental health um, snipping at them. And I had a slight, you know, not a, I was not going to say a spiral, but definitely cannon shots across their bow that there's baggage that they need to clean out or things that they need to address. And because a lot of people went through a lot of challenge, right? I myself did not necessarily go through challenge. It was not a bad time for me, but it was a rough time for a lot of people. And I have found coming out of COVID that people that were on other types of medication are seeking out a more organic and natural way to address the things that ail them. And that has been a big push for um, plant medicine overall, right? On top of that, you know, there's a opioid crisis or whatever. And that's something the government wants to deal with. They want to deal with it. It's costing way too much money now. And they, it needs to be addressed. Like finally it needs to be addressed. And they are also looking at, well, what's going to work? What are the solutions? Like, And then of course, down to things like, which I think is, was a, is a big thing, is you know, the treatment of soldiers as they come back from service and how they're affected. And that's one place where government seems to shake hands across the table, right? Everyone yeah. agrees that that's a problem that needs to be addressed. And this seems to be working, whether however long it takes them to figure it out. So there are all of these components that are coming together in time that I think will push psychedelics through a lot quicker than and have the acceptance. I mean, if you're in pain, having ever been in pain, any sort of pain, emotional or physical, and you've been in pain for a sustained period of time, and you get even 15 minutes of a break from that pain, it's glorious. In fact, it said there's no greater pleasure than the cessation of pain, right? So I don't know what it's like to be suicidal, really, you know, or, or live with suicidal thoughts, for instance. But I understand even a one-hour break from that haunt is like a great right. relief. Right. So I just it, it's it's my feeling that in this perfect storm of people, just the general people out there seeing and the media and it's mushrooms are literally everywhere, for example. And they're, of course, ketamine clinics. And all, and they're both useful. Right. So people are looking for an alternative. A lot of people are onboarding, finding relief, speaking to people. And there's this groundswell that's that's going on in that mental health bracket of things and then on top of it spiritually there's a big disconnection that we have these days i mean we're always on screens no one's even reading i mean i don't even think people are reading books the way they used to i read but i don't think people read you know so um, i read i'm a big nerd uh, same. I'll have a library. And when you come to Jamaica, I have a oh library. Oh my God. <laughs> I would love and it. It's, it's 300 years old. Wow. Yeah, yeah. A library. <laughs> you can go to the library. The only things I've put in there are like the Burning Man um, books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, well, I have a sweet library. Anyway, fast forward. Um, yes, I think that that will push it through. And I think that's... That's just me at like the ground level. You know, right. Dominic could probably be able to speak better to what he sees high level and the industry and the this and the that and what he's hearing. <laughs> but um, for me, it's just 
I have like some 70 odd year old people that hit me up for microdoses in Jamaica all the time these days, right? And you, I it would never, right, have put money or expected that guy to take <laughs> mushrooms, right? But he's hitting me up for mushrooms. He's like asking me, he wants to know, he wants to work, get it at the store. And what is he going to do to me? And am I going to see things? And, but he's prepared to do it, you know? And then, right. um, uh, you know, people that want to go into ceremony. I mean, there are a lot of retreats in Jamaica right now, and they are a lot more coming on and on and on and on. So clearly there is a demand. For sure. I mean, and we were recording this on um, September 15th. And yesterday, uh, MAPS just published their second phase three study for MDMA-assisted uh, psychotherapy for PTSD. Um, you know, and they were very intentional about um, going after uh, PTSD because it is so difficult to treat. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of veterans and soldiers in in some of their trials. Um, I know that there have been some veterans that have gone through some of the um, the retreats that, that you all have had. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, I'll try. You know, how, what they went in. Yeah. And like how, what their experience was like. And I mean, we'd love to get some of them on the podcast too, but um, you know, from your point of view, what, just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'll certainly try. Uh, as a side note, when the first one retreat, which is our retreat offering took place. That's the I brand at, one retreat, just FYI. Uh, yeah. Retreat, <laughs> Not the number yeah. one. <laughs> true, true. One retreat. Oh, yeah. and I was I was not present. I was at Psychedelic Science in Denver because it was over the solstice. Us. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. That's correct. Kevin Burke yeah. was present and he was the party promoter of that festive time. <laughs> right? right. So um you would best be able to speak to the details and the nuance of the journey of different veterans along the way. But of course. It's fascinating to us and we're, we're all deep into it. So now there's another retreat coming up, which is in October. And that retreat has yet more veterans, right? And they are, the team is learning the needs and how to reach out and how to, because it's a lot of work. Like I didn't realize how much work went into a retreat until being this personal with it and seeing like what Kevin mm -hmm. goes through, you know, there's lots of onboarding. There's, you got to figure out if it's the right, if it's a co the correct fit for the person, then you've got to introduce the groups together so that everyone kind of gels a certain way. So it's not like on the day that everyone flies down is the first they're seeing right. one another, they're comfortable ahead of time. And then, then you have the medicine and whatever the that format is and who's going to be there, who's the lead, what's their background, how can they handle different situations, scenarios, if that's necessary at all. Um, and then, then the real work starts where it's over <laughs> and everybody goes back to where they came from and you are connecting with them regularly together and in groups to discuss and integrate what took place when, you know, in their journey, individually and collectively. Right. So, okay, there's a retreat and it's five or seven days long, whatever. And you look at it and think, oh, well, that's it. Five days, nothing. No, it's months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's months. And then different people. I'm, we're also trying to help people that have um, been through a lot. Right. So you, the level of responsibility has to be very high. Right. And you have right. to, you have to be there for whatever comes. Like, if um, can cause more trauma, right? <laughs> well, if that were the case, hopefully that's yeah. never the case. But if that were the case, that's now your responsibility to kind right. of, you know, shepherd through. And, you know, to that, to that, we, we, we care very much about that network of people that can help downstream even beyond just the, you know, that uh, harm reduction, et cetera, et cetera, all of the things that are necessary, the tools that are necessary. So, um, yeah, that's the most I, sh I really have the authority to get in and speak mm -hmm. about it. This upcoming retreat, I will be hands-on through whatever it is that they everyone needs me to do. Um, so I have one more question before Nick gets to the last question. <laughs> I promised to ask, I promised Lewis that I would ask about the reggae, the possible reggae study of... Yeah 
uh, can you talk a little yeah, bit about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So, and are, yeah. are you just being polite to Lewis? Or are you guys really <laughs> no, interested no, in no, this? No. It's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy to do that. Why wouldn't I do it? Right. Great. And so talk I, about I, it. I told, I told Lewis that if it does bear fruit, we're going to call it the Lewis something or other. <laughs> something or other Lewis. Oh, right? man. Oh, my. Oh, like, so, man. So what Lewis um, wants to do has been done with plants. And it works with plants, right? Where if you play uh, music while the plants are growing, that you will experience different outcomes based on the type of music that you're playing. And I mean, if you really want to get deep into the science of it, like it would work that way because if you play um, sound vibration to water, right? So water, it changes that the, the molecular structure of water. This has this has been proven, right? I mean, mushrooms are ninety percent water, so it makes sense. So what we're going to do is we're going to play. We're going to have one room in silence, and we're going to have the same genetics, same sub, same everything from the same run, and we're going to have a A, a and B. Well, I guess that would be the control, and then. We're gonna play some uh, reggae music. Maybe we'll make Louis make the playlist, <laughs> so he can like not just suggest it, but like. Oh my god, he would be so excited! Uh, yeah, to do that. We, we'll know what type of reggae he really knows, and then I can. <laughs> That's why I think maybe off. you should you be the DJ. Yeah, we can do the Charles. I tell you what, we do the Charles playlist and we do the Louis playlist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the good thing is, judgy. is they grow so fast. You can do a bunch of different studies. So mm-hmm. you can do yeah. the Charles playlist, the Lewis <laughs> pr- playlist, and see how these these uh, mushrooms grow. Yeah, they they do grow fast. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a quick turnaround. So we'll be able to see. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You can tell Louis that you asked, and um, and it's documented. Well, oh, well yeah. he'll listen to this, and Louis, you're welcome. <laughs> yes. Uh, Charles, uh, I just got one last question for you. You know, you're such an easygoing guy, um, which in this industry, like you can feel like everybody is so tense or go, go, go as much as it's like, there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of building that still has to come up, um, for this industry. And I'm wondering, is there anything that keeps you up at night or any challenges that, you know, have you thinking like, okay, this is going to be something in the future that we do have to, to really think about and be ready for a plan for, um, or is it, you know, that easygoing, this is just going to keep, keep permeating through. Like, like Dory from Nemo, I just swim. <laughs> um, initially, I was worried about government in Jamaica, initially. Mm-hmm. Like, I was concerned because I didn't know what way they were going to go. And it's been a great relief that they went the other way, where government reached out and said, hey, everyone, help us to do this right, which we are now a part of, right? So I care about home first because that's the goose that lays the golden egg. That's the epicenter. That's the seed. You know, I'm going to probably be doing mushrooms no matter what (laughs) your government was to have said, right? Because to me, it's what's right. However, I'm really glad they're on board and they're on board um, definitely in the therapeutic departments, you know, um, retreats and the tourism aspect of it and changing the, being able to be in a place where we can change the, any of the little stigmas that might be going on in the, the, the more, the less neuro, um, the, the less open, um, people that are in control, you know, the ones who are a little bit more rigid. Uh, it's good that we're here to be able to help them and direct them and make it where, you know, there we can like tiptoe around an ego issue mm-hmm. just for the betterment of all. So that kept me up. It used to bother me. Right now, it's not really bothering me that much anymore. Um, I have, I do have PTSD from what government officials can do. Like everything can be going a hundred percent great and like someone has an agenda and it could be a petty, um, you know, self-centered, trivial little thing. And if it comes from high up enough, it just can, just as we saw with the drug war on drugs mm-hmm. already, right? Some little I mean, agenda, match up everything. Described mm-hmm. our Congress, but anyway. <laughs> Pretty much, right. But fortunately, fortunately, Jamaica is a smaller country. And you have more access. Like I know people in our version of Congress, you know, you know, they went to high school with me, maybe 
Whereas I don't know anybody and I don't know if you know a bunch of people in your Congress. So the country's just so big, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can sit down at a at a cocktail bar with someone randomly socially and be like, dude, really? Really? That's what you guys are thinking? <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and, and that's the beauty, that that's a beauty of smaller places, right? So that used to bother me. Uh, it doesn't really bother me that much anymore. Maybe I'm a little naive still, but I think that the genie is out the bottle and I don't see how anyone's going to put that back in at this stage. And then when I was at Psychedelic Science, just the, 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 all those minds gently trying to make it that it eases into and that there's no um, casualties or things that break the story or any explosions or, you know, guarding, shepherding how people feel uh, made me feel a lot better as well. Charles, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Um, we want to have you back. Maybe we'll have you back after the the October retreat sometime in November or December um, to see how that went. Um, but in the meantime, thank you. It was my pleasure. Next time we got to bring Kevin on so he can, yeah. he can get some We'd of the fire that. as well. Bring Definitely. Dominic on. Yeah. Pressure them. In the meantime, I want to go to Jamaica and check out that library. <laughs> it's it's there for you. You're going to make Kevin very jealous. Very jealous. I love it. Love it. Charles, thank you so much. Thanks, Charles. Huge thanks again to Charles Lazarus, Chief of Cultivation and Production at Rose Hill. You can follow all the things that Rose Hill is doing at rosehill.life, visiting their website there. As always, thanks for listening to The Green Rush. If you want to chat with Ann, Lewis, or myself, you can find us on Twitter with the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. Shoot us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. We love your feedback, guest ideas, any stories you want us to cover. Hit us up. And don't forget to subscribe to The Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. One take, Shay. One take. Cannabis! Cannabis!